Good morning. Welcome to church. Very good to see everybody. Welcome to LifeBridge. We gather on Sundays to turn our focus towards God together in community. We believe that our faith in Jesus is not only personal, it's not simply a personal decision that we make, but there's, it's something that is supposed to be practiced in community, community together. It's supposed to be, um, it's supposed to be our context for worship, for mission, and for discipleship. And so when we gather on Sundays, it is to worship together in community. And so we welcome you. We thank you for joining us here. If you're looking for more information about our church, there are cards in the seat backs in front of you that you can, you can fill those out. You can drop them in, in the box at each end of the hallway. You can also uh, just come find me and talk to me. I don't disappear into a green room, green room after this. Um, we, we can't afford one, so I just, I just have to hang out here with all you guys. Um, I'm, if I'm fully honest, I actually like hanging out uh, with you guys, so it's all good. But welcome. We're glad you're here with us. Uh, we want to tell you about My Life Bridge. My Life Bridge you can use to stay up to date on what's going on on our calendar. Um, we have a daily devotional. It goes out every day. There's a written version and an audio version of our devotional and we would encourage you guys to check that out too. So Pastor John Adams will be up, in here, up here in just a minute. He preaches and the, the devotional ties into that week's sermon. So every single day you can listen or you can read. Usually listening is somewhere between four and eight minutes, I would say. And it's, it's excellent. So we would encourage you to check that out. You can give online from there. We also send, we send update emails about once a week and the occasional text update about a big thing. Like if there's a weather cancellation. Um, or something of that nature. And so if you want to just stay in the loop in those ways, check out mylifebridge.church. We also want to thank you for your giving. Thank you for supporting our mission with your giving, with your tithes and offerings. Everything that we do um, relies to some degree on funding, right? And so we ask that you guys be a part of that in, in whatever way you can. If you, call this, uh, if you call this your home church, we ask that you give, and you can do that online, you can do that uh, via Venmo, the Venmo app. There are also those same black boxes on each end of the hallway that you can drop those cards into. You can drop your gifts into as well. We thank you for your generosity. We, um, we don't simply want to do church here. We don't want to just come, show up on Sunday, wave at each other, and do church together. We want to be a community. We want to reach out into our community to disciple people, to see people come to know Jesus. And so when you're giving, you are supporting not just what you see on Sunday mornings. You're supporting... Uh, our, our attempt to continue to drive forward the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we, we thank you for supporting that as well. I want to tell you guys about Serve Sunday. There's cards on your seats um, that you can take, take with you. On, uh, we, we've done this uh, twice since the beginning of the school year, and we're doing it again on April 24th. So Serve Sunday is right around the corner. You can take this card with you, save the date, and we will be, uh, over the course of the next few weeks, we will be rolling out some more of the details about what we will be doing on April 24th. But you can sign up. Just all you have to do to, to let us know you're going to be there is just sign up and indicate, like, we'll be there. We've got this many kids, et cetera. And we'll have more details uh, over the next couple weeks as we lead up to this. But the idea of Serve Sunday is we want the whole church together serving. So we take that Sunday, and, uh, and you don't have to listen to me do announcements or uh, we don't have any music either. Instead, we, we serve our community. Um, and we will, like I said, there'll be more details next week, but we want you guys to get this in your calendar right away. It's April 24th coming right up, and we want you guys to sign up and let us know you are going to be there. So take one of these cards with you, or do, your, do it on your phone as you're sitting there. And, um, and yeah, so that's Surf Sunday. We will see you guys there for that. Looking forward to it. 
And uh, yes, so please do get signed up ASAP so that we can plan on you. And the last thing I'll say is that we are starting a new campaign today. We, we, have, uh, we just wrapped up a campaign. We had a kind of our, what we call our conference week a few weeks ago where we had a lot of additional content. And we've got a new campaign, which means basically a new topic and theme that we're pursuing now through, uh, through June. And we're very excited about it. It's called The Pursuit. And uh, I want to invite up someone very special, someone very near and dear to my heart, who's going who's gonna to take us into this campaign today. And so I want you guys to give a very warm welcome to this man. His name is John Adams. Would you... Would you would you? I'm not finished. I'm not finished. Please, please be. Now, this please is a man grief. who I introduce almost every week, <laughs> and I'm running out of ideas. But he's a, wow, look at the, je- are those, he's got brand new jeans on. Those are fresh, I think. Sort of. Looking Within nice today. the last today. few months. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm just going to go. Appreciate that. Thanks, I don't really man. have anything else to Appreciate say. Appreciate it. <laughs> that's, that's a good transition right there. We got, we got to work at landing the plane in these transitions. It's not great. Seven, almost eight years. It's almost eight years I've had to endure this. <laughs> it's produced a lot of sanctification in me towards John. Okay, uh, let's pray, and then we'll, I'll introduce our new campaign. Lord, God, we thank you for who you are, first of all, God. We just worship you. We praise you. Would you be honored and glorified? Lord, in our praises that we give to you today uh, through listening of your word, through singing, through how we communicate with one another, how we pray together. Lord, would you just be honored and glorified in all that we do today. May all that we do just be an act of worship to you, to bring you glory and honor. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, our new campaign is called The Pursuit. So if you notice, John kind of worked in pursuing over the next uh, over the next campaign, the next few weeks. So pursuit is what we're calling this campaign. We're talking about healthy personal growth in a self-absorbed world. So in this campaign, what we, we kind of want to unpack and untangle a little bit this idea that we often hear in culture, in, uh, in the things about self-awareness, self-improvement, self-actualization, etc. And if you notice, those, those ideas are kind of all, the word self is at the beginning of all of those. So we regularly hear mantras like, be yourself, or things like, be true to yourself. So when someone becomes comfortable or confident in who they are, we say that that person has found herself, right? This is a theme that if you've been paying attention, Disney has been on to for a very long time, okay? Like even from the time I was a kid. If you remember the movie Lion King, I'm not going to go into it much. But if you think about it, one of the like, climactic moments of the movie is when Simba, after he had wandered off into uh, go live a like, prodigal son type lifestyle with Simo, uh, Timon and Pumbaa, right? This is like, like really talking Timon and Pumbaa in church, yes. Um, <clears throat> he has that moment where there's like Mufasa in the clouds and he says, you have forgotten who you are. Remember James Earl Jones' voice booming through there, right? Uh, if you've seen the, new, the newer movie Moana, same thing. She just in an epic form sings out, I am Moana. Right? If you want me to sing it, you have to come back later. Um, I'm not going to sing it. And then she goes to like tell Tafiti who she really is, right? Like that's the whole point of the movie. Same thing in Aladdin and Encanto, the newer movies. Disney's been onto this for a long time. And Disney is right to be onto it for as long as they have because it is super important that we know who we are and live out of that. But in the secular culture and in the world, that's like the highest good, 
for the world. It is to know who you are and to live out of it. That's as far as we can go without, uh, without Scripture, without God, to provide meaning and to support that identity of who we are. The problem with the culture is they don't really talk about whether or not your identity is rooted in truth. Whether your concept of yourself is actually true and if the actions that that concept of yourself produces, so if you're living out of who you are, is actually good. I'm going to say that again. That's huge, right? The cultural concept of, of this self-awareness or knowing who you are and living out of it, that is their highest good. There is no sense of, is your sense of self true? And as Christians, we would say true according to God's word because what God says is true. And what God says about us is true. So there's no, they, they can't really get to that. Is this true? And are the actions that it produces good? Because when the world talks about, when it, when it talks about this understanding who you are, be who you are, when it talks about that idea, what it really is saying is just uncover kind of the core basis of who you are and be true to that. Unfortunately, like if you come to the conclusion that you're a jerk, just like continuing to be a jerk and living out of that identity, one, it's not true. Two, it's not good, right? And so as Christians, we said that's not our true identity, so we shouldn't be living out of that, right? <clears throat> so what we're going to do in this campaign is not just take an inward journey to discover our personality and discover who we truly are, our desires, our goals, ambitions to pursue, all of that stuff. What we're going to ask is simply, is our identity, is our self-concept rooted in truth? And the big question is, like, is the way that we perceive ourselves the way that God perceives us? Anything to the contrary is false and is a false self, right? So we want to think about ourselves the way that God thinks about us and then live out of that true self-identity of who we really are. So I've referenced all those Disney things. If you have kids in here and you don't want Disney to disciple your kids more than you do, that's an important conversation to have. Because in the world's concept and in the secular culture outside of the church, that is the highest good, is knowing who you are and then living out of it. But for Christians, we need to base our identity on Scripture and who God says we are and then live according to that truth as God determines and dictates in his word. Okay? So again, work these conversations in with your kids as much as you can. Use these examples because Disney is right to emphasize how important that is, but they cannot go far enough for Christians. So we must ask the question, is who you are, who God, is your concept of who you are, who God says you are? Or is it something different? And if we come to the conclusion that it's something different, we need to realign our sense of self with who God says we are. Saints throughout the history of the church have known this to be true. St. Augustine, he famously said, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? Then his famous quote, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. John Calvin, who certainly cannot be thought of as one of the like, ooh, like mystics or spiritualists, this dude, yeah, anyways, okay. Calvin said, our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But these 
are connected together by many ties, it's not easy to determine which of the two precedes and gives birth to the other. That's a pretty dramatic statement of how important it is that we know who we are and that we know ourselves so that we can know God, as Augustine said. He said the two are connected together by many ties and it's not easy to determine which of the two precedes and gives birth to the other. It's been in my experience that Christians often drive in one of two ditches on this topic because the culture talks about know yourself, be yourself. We can't. One ditch is just say, oh, that's, that's something the world talks about. I don't need to pay attention to that at all. Silliness, it's nonsense, whatever, right? And just avoid the topic entirely. But then you miss a lot of important theology, as Calvin is saying, about knowing yourself and therefore your ability to know God. Or we dive in completely into this. We do every like, personality assessment. We kind of just, and, and at the end of the day, we just become self-absorbed. And the whole Christian faith becomes something to support or buttress already your ideas of who you want to be or what you want to accomplish in the world out of who you are. Does that make sense? So we just use Christianity then and this theology, the religion, and the good things that it produces for us to accomplish our predetermined goals. And we become completely self-absorbed. And the self-deception on this is endless. Endless. So what we're going to do throughout this campaign is kind of rework some of these ideas. And hopefully throughout it, you'll see how culture has influenced you Disney, perhaps, has influenced you more than scripture, and you'll unpack some of these self-deceptions about your things that you are pursuing in life, and ask, what are these rooted in? Are these pursuits really rooted in my true identity, my true self as God sees me, or are they rooted in something else? And that is a lie. And again, I'm going to say this time and time again throughout this campaign, the self-deception here is endless. So the only way for you to really unpack and uncover the truth of these things that we're gonna be talking about is for you to sit alone with God, to reflect, to pray, to ask the Spirit of God to search you and to know your heart, and to ask for his wisdom to uncover these lies that you are believing. Because they are there. If you're sitting here thinking, oh, I'm exempt from this, I've got these figured out, you're wrong. Just blatantly, you're wrong, okay? These lies and deceptions are everywhere and they are toxic to our spiritual life. So what we're gonna do is spend the first three weeks on just some of the basic ideas, principles found in scripture about who we are. Because it's so important that we develop a good theology of the self, knowing what it means to be human and who we are. And then from that theology, we can live out who God calls us to be and what God calls us to do. We can then pursue the things of the kingdom without being self-absorbed. So for the first three weeks, we're gonna talk about what it means, the biblical concept of the self, to know who we are. And it aligns really nicely leading up into Easter, so it's in part why I did it that way. But then after that, we'll talk about the things that we are pursuing in life, or the things that we tend to deceive ourselves into pursuing and think that they're based in the kingdom and goodness and scripture, but perhaps they're not. So we're just going to reflect on those things, okay? So first of all, today, we're going to start in Genesis. We're going to start in Genesis 
Chapter 1, beginning here in verse 26, we're going to read a few verses here. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Okay, so if you're a highlighting person in your Bible, highlight image, likeness. You'll see how many times it occurs in this text, in these few verses. So that, purpose, statement, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Okay, so uh, Hebrew culture was an oral culture, so this was read or spoken way more than people would sit down and read it. So when the author repeats himself many times, oh, that's what he wants to stick in my mind. The image of God, he wants to stick in your mind. He's saying it time and time again for that reason. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So as I just said, the image is what the author, Moses here, who wrote this, wants to stick in your mind. He wants his readers to know for sure that they are created in the image of God. And the image of God, the function of it is, we don't want to think of it as what it is. That's not what Moses is trying to say. The biblical text never says it, exactly what it is. Throughout the history of theology and Christian thought, people have thought, oh, it must be our reason that gives a, that is the image. It must be this or that that gives the image. Well, it's not describing your face. Like, it's not describing your physical appearance. We can say that for sure. Um, the function of it, however, Scripture gives us. And the function of it is ruling, creation. That we as humans are called to rule and steward creation in God's place. So steward is someone who ruled while the king was away. So we as humans are called to rule creation as God's viceroys, in a sense. And it is this image of God that sets humanity apart from the rest of creation. This is why humans are to be treated with dignity, in Genesis 9:6, it says, Whoever sheds human blood, by human shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. That's why murder is wrong. That's why, that's why we can all go and have a steak later, and that's cool. But you cannot murder. You cannot harm another human. Because human beings are created in the image of God. That's why when I just looked on the news this morning, when I woke up and I saw that uh, there have been great humanitarian crises in, in the Ukraine conflict. And Russia, more and more evidence is coming out of Russia and their human rights abuses of attacking civilians and killing civilians. That's why that is such a heinous crime. When we read that, because humans, all humans, even in war, soldiers, civilians, are created in the image of God. So the death of anyone is a tragedy because they have dignity. Now, we don't, we don't see this because we're not steeped in the culture of the ancient Near East, and we aren't Moses' original readers. Of, remember, Moses' original readers are the Hebrew people who were formerly enslaved for 400 years coming out of Egypt. So we, we don't have this concept, these concepts in mind. But in other cultures and in the surrounding regions that they were familiar with, Egypt was one of them, they likely built these statues, right? Uh, the Assyrian culture, the Babylonian culture, uh, they, they all believed and had these ideas that the king, only the king was created in the image of God. 
and they were even deified in some cultures. So the king would set up images of themselves as deity, or they would obviously build images of their gods and set those gods up as images of who these gods are. And scholars, commentators have noticed for from the beginning of studying these texts that the Hebrew people were called explicitly not to create images of other gods, of Yahweh. Why? Right here. If you want to see an image of Yahweh, look on the face of the person across from you. And you're seeing God's stewards here on earth, God's image here on earth. I was at a conference this week, and Dr. Sandra Richter, who has a PhD from Harvard's Near Eastern Languages and Civilizations Department, so she knows, she studied this stuff way more than I have and way more than you have, she said that this is completely unheard of in the ancient world, that all humans, male and female, would be said to be created in the image of God, to have dignity, value, and worth. In the ancient world, it was... Humans were expendable commodities to be used at the discretion of the king. So imagine, just for a second, being a slave. Who You've seen Pharaoh just decide, I'm going to kill all of the boys of your people. Just decide that and do it. You've watched your friends be murdered just because a guard is having a bad day and nobody cares. You viewed yourself, your self-concept for your entire life, for four generations of your people, has been, I am an expendable commodity. That once my utility has worn out, I can be done away with and killed at the discretion of the king. And then reading something like this, that says, nope, you have inherent dignity, all of you, because you're created in the image of God. That is a revolutionary concept in the ancient world, and it still is today. So this image is what not only gives us dignity, but calls us to rule over creation in God's place here on earth, that we are to represent God in ruling creation to all the rest of creation. So this elevates our dignity, our self-concept, that we are all created in the image of God. But there's another side of the same coin. <laughs> so there's that one side of the coin, the coin, side of the coin that we call the heads side, all right? And here's the tails side, uh, which is slightly different. <laughs> Genesis 2, verse 7 says this. And the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. And, and the Hebrew word man is the word Adam, which also in Hebrew means human. So throughout the whole creation narrative of Genesis 1 and 2, it's like a, a fun little word play of Adam, man, human. Okay, they're all kind of wrapped up together and depending on the context, whatever. I'm nerding out. I'll stop from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. I say that just to emphasize that. Adam is our figurative representative head of all humanity. So what this says is 
man was formed from the ground, breathed into his nostrils, given the breath of life from God, and so man became a living being. And what we're going to see through subsequent texts in Genesis is uh, humanity is dust and ashes. So we are created in the image of God, but we are also dust and ashes. And again, what's in, what, what Moses is emphasizing here is not the material of being dust and ashes. What he's trying to say is you're mortal, is that you are a mortal creature, that you do not have eternal life in and of yourself. Genesis 3, 19, this is after the fall and Adam and Eve sinned by the sweat of your brow, a part of the curse that God uh, delivers to humanity. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Okay, again here, we see mortality in view. So you will die one day. Humans, we will die. And then one more in Genesis 18. This is when Abraham is talking with God and pleading with God to spare uh, the city of Sodom. And he constantly says, keeps reducing the number. If you find this number, if you find this number of righteous people in Sodom, would you spare the city? And God graciously grants all of his requests. Oops. Oh, no. I didn't put the right text down. I didn't copy it right. All right, so I'm just going to pull it up on my phone. And I will read it. Sorry about that. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate that. Bill's all right with it. <laughs> um, oh, wait, no. I didn't even put the right verse on there. Bummer. Uh, oh, yeah, here it is. It is the right verse. So, then Abraham spoke again. He's talking to God. Since I have begun, let me speak further to my Lord, even though I am but dust and ashes. So Abraham, in speaking to God, he brings it up again. He says, God, I'm just, I'm not like you. I'm dust. I'm ashes. I'm mortal. You're immortal. You're the creator of everything. In you is life. And notice even in the creation narrative, God is the one who gives life, breathes life into the human. They don't have life intrinsically of themselves, right? So this emphasizes our mortality. Life is not intrinsic to our nature. It is a gift given us by God. So we are, so now this changes slightly under Jesus, obviously, because when we are in Christ, he gives us his eternal life, and this we'll talk about uh, Easter Sunday. See how this plays nicely, and this works out well. Uh, we'll talk about that Easter Sunday, uh, and even so, though, that eternal life that Christ gives us, it is not intrinsic to our nature. It is not something that we have in and of ourselves, just like the life that we have today, as Genesis says. It is given us by God. It is a gift from God. So we can't boast of it. It is not ours in and of ourselves. It is given us by God and God alone. In him is life. We are mortal beings. So what we see, band, you guys can come and get set up up here. What we see is we are both royalty and dust. We have two sides of the same coin of what it means to be human. So as we're crafting this identity of ourself and knowing who we are, we are both created in the image of God, which gives us dignity and value and worth and all of that. It elevates our human status in all of creation. 
but it also humbles us. We should also be incredibly humble because we are dust and ashes. We are mortal. We are not God. So these two have to be held in tension. They have to be held as two sides of the same coin if we are to have a healthy concept of who we are. Let's pray, we'll sing, and then I'll come back and apply it. Lord, we thank you for your word that calls us to the truth of who we are. So that, Lord, as we begin to explore the things that we should pursue out of our identity, Lord, would you form in us a healthy identity, an identity that is rooted in scripture, in truth, in you and who you are. Lord, not an identity of our own self-creation or of our own making that is so prone and subject to lies, but, Lord, our identity that is formed and rooted in you, in what you say of us, in what you think of us, in who we are. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you guys stand and sing with us? And there's prayer available in the back. If you need prayer while we're singing, would you please head back there and pray? Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your faithfulness. Lord, for how you love us. Thank you that, Lord, you will bring your work to an end. So, Lord, we have purpose. We have meaning. We have life in you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat for just a few moments. Remember, our big idea is that we as humans are both royalty and dust. We are both created in the image of God, which gives us great dignity. But we are also mortal. Remember, these are two sides of the same coin of what it means to be human. And so to form our self-identity and know who we are, we must maintain this tension. We must remember that these are two sides of the same coin to have a healthy self-concept of who we are. The first thing that we see here is that our image bearing is rooted in God. It's rooted in God. That is so important. That it's not rooted in yourself. Because if you're honest with yourself, you fail a lot. (laughs) And if when you fail, that lessens your concept of yourself you have a big problem on your hands. It's not rooted in your spouse. Your dignity isn't rooted in your parents. However good your family of origin was, your concept of yourself is not rooted in your kids. It's not in your boss. It's not in your work. It's not what you do. It's rooted in God. And God is unchangeable. His concept of you does not change like you're thinking of yourself. So how we view ourselves must be how God views us. Anything other than that is a lie. One of the most important questions that you can ask yourself is when you imagine how God thinks of you, what comes to mind? Just do that for a second. Just sit, close your eyes. Imagine how you think God thinks of you.
Some of us, because of our, perhaps our church tradition, or perhaps some conclusions that we came to on our own, <laughs> because we read a blog about it, I don't know. We tend to view God as some ruthless dictator would view his people. We tend to view God as looking at us as how Vladimir Putin looks at his soldiers and the people of Ukraine. Talk about a pertinent example. It's right in front of our face right now. We will just send wave after wave of soldiers to be massacred without an ounce of remorse for nothing. Right? Who will, without blinking, drop bombs on innocent civilians, women and children. Some of us, we, tend, we have this concept of God that's more like that, of God just is using you. God doesn't really care about you. Or we tend to view God as an 